What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Happy freaking Monday. I hope you all had a great weekend. Uh, this past uh, Saturday, my buddy Roger and I competed in another uh, long-range varmint match. And I tell you what, those things are a lot of fun. If you haven't, or if maybe you don't know, uh, I love long-range shooting. I am by no means a wizard at it. I've got no claim to fame, nothing, anything like that. But I enjoy the uh, the fun of, uh, of shooting long-range and the, uh, the gratification you get of that delayed ring and steal when you shoot something at distance. And these matches are a ton of fun. You know, you've got several different types of shooting long range, right? And uh, these these varmint matches are designed to be, um, in my opinion, very, very fundamentals based, right? Where you're single feed loading, feed, single feed loading uh, um, um, your, your gun, you're shooting. Really, at the end of the day, I think that you're practicing more of these wind calls than anything, which is kind of the great equalizer, in my opinion, right? Everything else being equal, ammo, you know, skill. Uh, at the end of the day, if you can't call win, you're not going to hit a target, right? And so these matches are a lot of fun because they're very slow paced. You get a you know shit talk with your buds and trash talk and whatever the case may be, give them a hard time and uh, really focus on those fundamentals and smooth trigger pulls. So I really enjoy it, Roger. Shout out to you, man, for for getting me plugged into these things because I I really enjoy them. But enough chat about that. Um, if you haven't yet, excuse me, please take a quick second to rate, subscribe like whatever the case may be wherever you're listening to this to the to the to the po to the show you have no idea how much that means to me it gives me the warm and fuzzies but also it really does indeed help the show grow um you know i do most of my marketing through instagram right and, and when i say marketing it's literally like i'm following people staying engaged you know posting updates and uh, kind of what life looks like beyond the mic so as far as like competition shooting long range ars pistols whatever the case may be hunting you know i know bear season's coming up um kind of all of these things that's that's kind of where i live through to to let people know what it is that I'm working on, the community that I'm trying to be in, uh, in growing and, and a part of and what I'm most passionate about, that's kind of where I, I pour myself into because as you're aware, you know, I, I don't do a whole, a whole hell of a lot of talking about myself on the show. That's not really my goal. So through Instagrams and kind of the show socials, that's where you see a lot of those things and uh, where that passion comes back into the show. So with that being said, you know, please follow me uh, on the podcast, right, on the show, wherever you're, wherever you're listening. And then also on the Instagrams at uh, the Vanguard Project. I'll link it in the episode description. But um, that kind of leads me to my next point. This this show really does focus on telling people stories. My goal with the show is uh, not really to share with you uh, so much about myself, but sit down with people that are doing uh, a ton of different things, walking a completely different path that I am to understand how they got to where they're at, what is it they've done, what they've learned, how they how they have gotten to where they're at, and what it's taken really with the end goal of um, kind of giving you something to chew on throughout the week, maybe apply it in a different way uh, to your own life, maybe figure out something else to get involved in, a community, uh, a new hobby, whatever that case may be. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, my, my kind of motto or mantra is growth through story and strength through community because as you'll learn, as you start to listen to these, right, um, one, you can apply a lot of what these people have to say to your life, at least I know that I can, um, but then also uh, it's really easy to make friends with a lot of these people, right? The communities that they're a part of are very easy to tap into and, and join in some way, shape, or form. So um, with all of that being said, um, I've been super, super fortunate to have uh, partnered with a couple different companies to uh, bring the show to you. And uh, today's episode is uh, is brought to you by Everly Stock. So uh, Everly Stock is based 
based out here in Boise, and uh, they are amazing people. I've you know interacted with them in in various ways over the years, and they are just remarkable people that make amazing product. And uh, when I was at my match this weekend, um, I was maybe a little Eberly stocked out, but you know what? It's because they make such damn good gear that it's hard not to always want to wear it because. At, uh, at this match, I had my um, Bruno hoodie, which is their lightweight four-way stretch, kind of, for me, the sweat wicking style. Like, it, it gets all the, the sweat and moisture off your body. But then also I had their Thunder, Thunderbolt parka on as well, which is their, their cold weather jacket. And so kind of those two coupled together in the morning was, was amazing. Like, I was so comfy, flying high. By the time, you know, it started to heat up, took that off, and the... Uh, the um, Bruno hoodie was great because it, it keeps a little bit of the dirt and kind of the, the gravel off of you, or not the gravel, but the, the concrete while you're shooting, but does give you a little bit of heat and helps kind of wick that moisture off. They've got thumb holes, which is really nice, especially if you're trying to keep the sun off the back of your hands, maybe fishing, for instance, um, or trying to stuff your hands in gloves too and get that full protection. But then I had my half track, which is kind of the name of the game for me in matches anymore. I've tried a ton of different packs trying to figure out what I like for um, honestly any type of match that I'm shooting. And the half track seems to be it. It's got an internal divider that's adjustable uh, or kind of you can take it uh, in or out, up or down. And it's great because you can divide, um, you know, all of your ammo, snacks, water, um, ballistics gathering information. So whether that's a Kestrel or a Magneto Speed, whatever you use for your dope uh, or your data. And, um, you know, this thing is just great. I, it's got a couple different pockets for water. I use it for actually my Magneto Speed snacks. Um, so yeah, they're great. Um, they've got several different, uh, styles and color options, right? Or, uh, excuse me, color options. I think they've got it in black, tan, maybe. I would have to double check. I can't remember off the, I have a black one. I had originally bought it for my wife and stole it back because I liked it so much. <clears throat> um, don't tell her. Um, but yeah, uh, be sure to give their website a, ch or check their website out, everlystock.com. If you need anything, give them a call at the retail store. They, like I said, are all awesome people. Let them know the Vanguard podcast sent you, uh, call Tucker and be like, yo, Tuck, I learned about this half track and I need one. And uh, he'll get you all squared away and, uh, maybe get you a parka or whatever the case may be as well. But I'm going to stop talking. Uh, I am finishing this up just a few minutes before date night. So I'm going to get this taken care of and published before I get in trouble. So you all have a great week. We're going to roll an awesome episode and we'll catch you next Monday. Thanks everybody. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and this is probably going to be the easiest episode. I think at least that's what Aaron's telling me. He's going to be the easiest guest I've had. And I'm excited. I've got my coffee. We're recording. I think we're just going to do this thing live. We're going to hit it. We're going to press publish because we're publishing or we're recording on a Sunday and we're going to we're going to run it. So, Aaron, dude, I'm excited. I think you're the first PJ I've ever sat down and talked to. So I'm excited kind of to get to know you and your story. So yeah, a lot kinda, of pressure, a lot of pressure, a lot, lot of pressure. I'm totally, I'm here for it. I'm here to throw you the, the ringers and dang it. I forgot. <laughs> I was going to text Trent too, to get a couple ringers to give you a hard time. <laughs> Damn it. I was super excited. So like I was telling you beforehand, I try and tell, like sit down and have people kind of share their stories and all the things that they learn. And I imagine people listening have probably listened to your podcast because you're one of the fancy faces of ones ready. Do you mind introducing yourself a little bit? And then I'll maybe interrupt and get to know you a little bit. 
Yeah, easy. So, man, my name's Aaron Love. I grew up in Northeast Ohio. You know the the picture that everybody gets mad at? Like, I can't believe how privileged this kid was. That was me when I was growing up, straight up. Uh, <laughs> you know, devout Roman Catholic mom and dad. I'm the oldest of six. Grew up in, you know, a, a suburb of Akron, Ohio. So, you know, the only, the only thing people know about Akron, Ohio is that's where LeBron James and the Goodyear Blimp are from. So I live maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes outside of Akron, a small town called Barberton. Yeah. And had an awesome, stable home life. My dad was a firefighter. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We went to uh, the public school, you know, Barberton High School. I was a graduate of Barberton High School as, as an 18-year-old. And then like a whole bunch of Northeast Ohio dudes, I didn't really have a, a real plan. I, you know, I tried college out. I tried, I, I went to Ohio State for a little bit. Didn't do well because I was on a, a drinking team that had a water polo problem. Uh, that's not, <laughs> not real conducive to, you know, studying and staying in school. So that, uh, that pretty much fizzled itself out pretty quickly. And I found myself back in Akron. And just working, I met some good friends and I was living with uh, a lifelong friend of mine now that, um, you know, he and I were working just bouncing and barbacking and, you know, kind of bouncing around Northeast Ohio, trying to find something to do. And uh, poof, Tuesday, September 11th happened. And uh, I went to the recruiter essentially that next day. So dating myself a little bit, but I think I was in the debt program uh, less than three weeks later. I, I actually tried story all this time. I actually tried to go. I tried to go to the Marines to talk to the Marines and there was nobody in the office. I tried to go to the army and there was uh, one guy was in the office and he told me straight up. He's like, well, I'm not going to give you a special forces slot. Uh, I might give you a Ranger slot if you score high enough on the ASDAB. But uh, by the looks of you right now, like, I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> like that's literally, that's literally like, like the, wow. Okay. Dick. I was like, okay, you know, fair enough. Like, got it, man. Like he knows better than I do. He knew what a Ranger looked like. I didn't, I'd never seen one. So I was like, okay, cool. Fair enough. And the Air Force office was open. So uh, I, I walked into the Air Force recruiter's office and I told him, I was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a lifelong swimmer. Um, I like to do hard stuff. I am going to, I'm going to enlist somewhere. You're the only one that's open. And I want to try out for, for some different jobs. So he gave me a, the trifold pamphlet that we all laugh at because um, we can all picture it in our heads because they use the same pamphlet for like 20 years. But it was the PJ pamphlet. And he was like, yeah, you know, if your dad's a fireman, he actually knew my dad in town. He was like, you know, I know yeah. your dad's a fireman. I know, you know, you grew up in the firehouse and stuff. Well, the Air Force has people that just go rescue people. And I was like, I'm in. And he was like, well, I mean, you have to take a fitness. <laughs> you have to take a fitness test. And like, this thing's really hard, right? And I was like, no, no, no I got it. I was like, I, I know what the fitness test is. Like, I looked at the pamphlet. I was like, I can do all that right now. And he was like, well, like, I don't think you can. Okay, cool. He's like, what about Friday? And he said it almost flippantly. And I was like, yeah, done. So I went, I went Friday and I took the, I took the pass test that's now called the IFT, but I took the pass test and I passed it. And he was like, I gotta be honest with you. This isn't supposed to go like this. <laughs> He's like, I've had people that, have, that come in and, you know, they can't swim. They try to do one underwater and they just fail. Yeah. Or they can't even swim 500. I was like, well, I've been, I've been a swimmer my whole life. That's, I looked at it and I was like, you know, I've been an athlete, you know, I played basketball and baseball and football growing up, but and then I played or I swam year round for, you know, five or six years. So I was like, you know, that's not really that hard, man. Um, and then that's it. Like that was, that was the game. I was in depth for probably, you know, two months. There was no development. There was no program. I checked in with my recruiter, you know, once or twice I continued to work. And then I was on a bus on new year's day down to uh Lackland air force base. That's and fast. Uh, so, yeah. Well, it was the time, right? Like it was September 11th. It was 2001. Like we were going to Afghanistan in the, in the early parts of 2002. And, and that's where I found myself. I went to Indoc in 2002 um, after, after basic training in the air force, but 
Um, I've told the story a million times before. I have no problem telling it now. Failed miserably. I was just emotionally immature. I had some injuries that that rolled me back. I was really far on one team. It was a 10-week course back then. I was, you know, six or seven weeks in um, through hell night, through all the, the bad stuff. And I just rolled the living shit out of my ankle and just couldn't come back. I was like, I can't stay on this team. So I got med rolled back to the second team. And by then I'd been there for, I don't know, six months or yeah. seven months, just getting beaten to death, you know, every day. Um, finally had a, a, you know, there's an instructor. There's always instructors that you don't like. I had an instructor that I didn't like. He and I got into it and I just, I lost it on the pool deck and was, was totally just angry and, you know, looked right at him and was like, Hey, if, if this is what being a PJ is about, I'm over it. I'm done. Um, I, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. So, uh, I found myself leaving Lackland and, you know, being, you know, just completely defeated, uh, the worst possible way. And then, you know, I went on and the air force put me in another job and I moved to DC and that, that was great. Awesome job. Awesome people. I still have lifelong friends from it, but I knew that I wanted to do something else. I knew that I, I came in to be a PJ and I've said this, I've said this a couple of times and it's not to disparage anything about the military. I have three little brothers in the military. Like there's four boys. I'm the oldest of six, right? There's four boys. All four of us are in the military. All yeah. four of us are active duty. Um, you know, we, we love the military. We are a military family. So, you know, I say this at face value, but if it wasn't for being a PJ, I wouldn't be in the military at all. Really? Like that's, that's how much I connect with how much I connect with being a PJ and with the mission set and these things that I do that, you know, that I absolutely love. I feel lucky every single day to be able to do these things, to be able to help the guys out, to be able to do these missions, you know, both for, you know, personal reasons, because it, it feels good, yeah. but for, for that, as cheesy as it sounds, but for those bigger reasons, right. like I really do feel like I am part of something bigger than myself when I get to say I'm a PJ and I get to say it every single day. Yeah. You have to earn it every day, but um, yeah, it, it's just a weird thing where, you know, I look back, I'm, I'm over 20 years now. So, you know, more, I think I, I graduated in 2008. So I, I've been a PJ for, you know, 14 years, I think something, yeah. something weird, but I've been in the military for just over 20, but, you know, looking back at, at that time, uh, just sometimes I'm just in awe that I actually get to be, like I get to do these things that I do. It's not that, that I have to, it's I get to yeah. um, every day. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of sort of sped through a lot of the, the PJ stuff there and deployments and stuff. And we can talk on that all you want, but that, that was kind of like my pipeline journey. It was, it was weird. I was, I was a little bit older. I didn't get in until I was 22. Sure. Um, you know, I was in the debt program when I was 21. And then I, you know, I turned 22 at, um, you know, at NDOC actually terrible place to have a birthday, by the way absolutely awful <laughs> i can imagine oh dude it was awful i, I still remember that as one of the worst days of my life do you remember it or do you have you been told about it it's a difference oh no i i remember it because i was in training and it was like on a tuesday or i'd have to look at the calendar and see what day it was but basically somebody found out that it was my birthday and let it slip and the instructors figured it out and then i was just absolutely destroyed every day it was like oh is everybody spoke okay well this is going to be over when aaron does his 22 extra squat Aaron, you get to do like every single thing was dependent upon me doing 22 extra. <laughs> so, and that was, that was the first time that I was the biggest asshole on the team. It would not be the last time. Uh, That's awesome. That's funny. So we, you did cover a lot of ground. I'm taking notes. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go back and kind of poke on a couple different things. And again, kind of what I'm, what I'm hoping is 
And I know some of it's in the past, but just kind of asking questions to hopefully help guys out that are like, maybe, maybe want to be like you or kind of stuck to based off of what you've learned. So when you were, you know, you said that you went into college and you're like, bro, this isn't for me. I'm on a drinking team with a water polo problem. You know, what, what led you to say, Hey, this isn't for me. I need to do something different. Well, part of it was academic probation. So shout out to the Ohio State University for having a very strict academic probation <laughs> law. Now, um, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person where, you know, I and just I'll get completely narcissistic for a second. You, you know, when you talk to me or when people um, have an impression of me, it's usually I'm, I'm pretty abrasive as I come <laughs> off because everything feels like a fight. And I, I totally own that. Like every every time I have a conversation with somebody like. I've taken it upon myself as an older man to say, Hey, I'm, I'm not arguing with you, but it, it's going to sound like that. Right. Sure, <laughs> so, sure. um, you know, the other thing is that the, I'm, I'm usually pretty, pretty quick on my feet. Um, if I don't feel like I'm challenged and I don't feel, um, I don't feel like I'm actually like giving input and getting correct output grades to me. I don't care. I still don't have a four year college degree for that reason. Uh, because I think that there's other ways for you to engage in the academic space as opposed to taking a cookie cutter list of prerequisites for college. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what I was doing. I got out of high school where they were like, Hey, get good grades. It wasn't hard for me to keep like a 3.75 GPA. I I literally did not try. And it's not to be like, Oh, look how smart I am. It's just, I knew that I could like straight skate by and do the bare minimum for me and still keep it like 3.5, 3.75. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm good here. You know what I mean? Um, well, that didn't really fly in college because they were like, not only did they not care who I was, they were just like, all right, well, I mean, show up to class. We have an attendance policy, show up and take the test. And we have a test policy and okay, if you don't want to do it, that's fine, but we're just going to fail you. Well, I would just never show up to class. I would show up on test days and on days we had projects and I would typically smoke those. But when you're, when you don't feel like going to class because you're like, oh, this is stupid. That's just not, I, I didn't feel like I was going anywhere. Sure. I was, I was in college because that's what the, that's what I was supposed to do. You right. know what I mean? Yep. Um, but it just, it did not keep my attention at all. So I had one semester, I think my GPA, the first semester I was there was something like a 2.2.5 or like 2.25 or something. Nice. And it was, yeah, well, everybody in my life was just like, what the crap is this? Like, do you just not care about this at all? Um, and I was, I looked at him and honestly, I was like, no, I, I really don't. So I, I made it through like one year at, at the Ohio State. Um, so they did semesters. So it was like three semesters. So I think I made it through those three semesters and I was like, I'm out of here. Like, I, I do not care to do this for another year just to get into something that I would like. I didn't even have a major pick. Right. I was just, I was just doing stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, I, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew that I did not want that. Okay. So what did it take then for you to break the mold and say, Hey, this is what I'm supposed to do air quotes, right. Versus this is what I want to do and can be successful at. Like what, what did it take for you to say F this I'm out? You know what? There wasn't, it was more of a, it was a, you know, getting pecked to death by a duck, you know, it was, it wasn't yeah. one big thing. I, of course you want to default to September 11th. Right. And you want to say, Hey, September 11th is the thing. And maybe, maybe of course we could, we could use that as like the impetus to go. But to be honest with you, I was ready to go before that. Like if there was who knows, six months prior to September 11th, that some, you know, Alaskan fishing boat captain came into the bar that I was working at, regaled me with stories. Like I could have been up on a boat if I felt <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's just, I was lost. Like I wasn't, and it, I didn't have any problem with drugs. I didn't, you know, I newsflash everybody in Ohio. Uh, everybody drinks. It doesn't matter if you're 21 or not. I was working at a bar. So I'm sure I'm going to get crap for this somewhere, but yes, I was like, 
I would drink with my friends, but I didn't have a drinking problem. I wasn't drinking to excess. I wasn't like out of options. I was just sort of into the doldrums. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't hitting rock bottom or I had good relationships and I maintained healthy relationships with friends and family and all that other stuff. It wasn't like one of these things where I don't want to make it seem like I was living in a cardboard box on the street and then this thing happened and I was just like, Oh, this is it. Um, But, but it, it was almost worse. It was almost just like, you know, waking up every day, be like, okay, I got to work. I got an early shift. I'm going to work. But I was working at a, uh, man, I was working at this, this place that made truck tires at one point, like no kidding, making huge truck rims. And my job was like to put them in tolerance and measure the specific rims and buff out imperfections and stuff. And factory work in Northeast Ohio in the winter is not fun. I don't know. If, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of that sort of thing. But... No, I can imagine, but yeah. You know, but it, it was so many of those things where it was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't, I don't want to do this. Right. I don't want to be, I don't want to be working, you know, an eight hour swing shift just to get off in time to catch a three hour nap to go be at happy hour at the, at the bar I'm bartending at. Like, that's just not, that wasn't what I thought I was going to do. Right. You know, when I was a, a young kid. So it wasn't like there was one thing that happened. And, you know, of course we, we can default to September 11th for this one, but it was more like, okay, I know I don't want to do this. I know that this can't, this can't be it for me. There's gotta be something else. And then that something else just sort of presented itself. Yeah. So that's something else. Um, were you actively looking? I mean, cause I know September 11th, right. I was oh God, 2001. I was nine when 2001 happened or when September 11th happened. Right. But I know that some guys will, you will say, you know, September 11th happened. That's what really drew me to it to go stand up. Or were you actively looking for something else? I guess my question is what, 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 what led you to the military rather than being a firefighter or an officer or something else in the same kind yeah. of vein of, of helping? Yeah. You know, that's, that's an awesome question. Um, I, I don't know what it was. I know I was looking, but I never considered, although we were a, a very, both of my grandpas were in the Navy, you know, three fourths of my uncles were in the army at active service at some point, you know, and just to, to flesh this out of how many of us have gone in the military on the the Kilroy side, so the very Irish side of the family, right? There was something like 17 grandchildren, 12 of them were boys, and 11 of them served oh, wow. in the military. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just something ridiculous. It's like, that's that's what we did. But we were not, when we grew up, uh, my dad was in the army very briefly. And he served like a three-year stint in Germany. He got in, uh, went over to Germany and did a, like a three-year, you know, quick infantry stint before he came back to Ohio. But it was never a thing where that was part of us growing up. It was never a thing. Like my dad didn't have a bunch of like army, you know, retired army stuff. You know, both of my grandpas talk fondly of their time in the Navy, but it was never a thing where, Hey, you're going to graduate. And the military is an option. Right. They never, you know, they, they would tell arm their army stories or their Navy stories. And both my grandpas served in world war two. So it was one of those things where it was cool to hear, but it was never a thing. Like I was never just waiting for that. Okay. Well, I'm going to go in the military. I never even really considered it to be honest with you before that happened. But, um, my dad, who is, and, and it's funny, as you grow up, you realize it, it's kind of like a, a curve, right? Like here, your dad knows everything. And then you get to be about like 15 or 16, <laughs> your dad doesn't know nothing. anything. And then he's a complete idiot. And then like, you, you get it, you get out of that stupidness at about 25 or 30. You're like, Oh my God, my dad knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's, he's really I should smart. have paid attention. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, my dad, I, I distinctly remember like the, the reason why I'm a PJ my dad was driving me from, I can't remember. He was like, we had had lunch or we went out and had coffee or something. And I kind of told him, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go in tomorrow and I'm going to talk to the Marines and I'm going to talk to the army. And he goes, Hey, 
you know, the only advice I'll give you is go to the Air Force, go, go and talk to them about being a PJ, talk to them about being one of their special operators. He's like, it's, it's just probably a little bit different over there. So just do me a favor and and listen to them and hear what they have to say. Um, And that, that was really the reason why. And and I just kind of told my dad and and it's a, I I don't think we invented the quote, but we say it quite often amongst our circle of brothers, like our family Mm -hmm. is that every generation owes something to America, right? My dad was a firefighter for 30 years. He gave his life in, in service of, the greater good, if you want to say it like that, or the larger community or the larger tribe. And every generation owns that. And I remember distinctly, you know, looking at my dad go, Hey, um, if this is what our generation owes, then, you know, I'm the, I'm the, the oldest one. Like, I don't think my brother, my brother, Brian was probably like 19, but he was going to auto diesel college at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't planning on going in right then, but I was like, Hey, if this is what I need to do for our generation, I guess I'm in. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of all came together. That's interesting. So is that a sense of like loyalty to the country and your family that drives that? Or is it just kind of a, uh, a heritage driven thing? Well, I think it's, it's a little bit of both, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Like we, we've taken that on as a, as a point of pride now, right? Like my, I've got two warrant officer brothers at fly sixties oh. in the army. And then my little, my littlest brother, Kyle is all, he's an E8 in the army as well. Um, and we've all been in like our, it's ridiculous, our combined service time. So that's a thing for pride for us. Um, but really, it was born out of just that tribalism of, of Northeast Ohio. Like, that's just who we were. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's you, you woke up in the morning, it's going to be cold. Sometimes you got to shovel snow. You get your lunch pail, you go to work, and you don't <laughs> complain. Like, yeah. that's what that's what Northeast Ohio is. Um, and our family was kind of the, the prototypical Northeast Ohio family. You know, you, you went to church on Sundays, you, you did your thing, you like we would wake up and there were like seven walkways when it snowed out. We had to go shovel. Yeah, because my, my dad had lived on the same block. We lived in my dad's house, right? The oh, house yeah. that my dad grew up in. We grew up in that house as well. <laughs> um, so like we've we've lived in that same house. My parents still live in that house. So the love family has lived in that house for something like a hundred years now or something <laughs> r- ridiculous. Right. But that but that's what it is. Nothing is given in Northeast Ohio. Everything is earned. And we yeah. took that stuff very seriously. So it wasn't like people look back and, and almost lionize those times. Like, look at all these brave guys going off to war. It really wasn't about that. Everybody that I shipped with was like, no, sorry, this is the thing. Like, you, yeah. don't, you, don't, get, you don't get to do that. We have a vote in this thing, and this is how I can affect the process. So we're going to go affect that process. Yeah, that's awesome. So one of my favorite questions kind of in, and I'll ask it probably a couple of times, but before we segue into, you know, kind of what you're doing now and what a PJ is leading up to the point that you talk to the recruiter, rock, talk to the recruiter and get into uh, the depth kind of process, right? What is maybe one thing that you wish you would have known or could have benefited from, or would like to share with kids that are maybe kind of in your same shoes that you didn't know back then? Well, we'll start off. Like I didn't know anything. I get like, I, I didn't have Reddit. I didn't have YouTube. I didn't have, I didn't have ones ready. Shout out ones ready.com. Um, I didn't have these people that were doing like, you know, SOCOM athlete, um, 18 alpha, how to be a PG. I didn't have people that were like, no kidding. Like we will sit you down and we will tell you everything about the job down to individual training events that people have problems with. Yeah. I had no clue. Like the fact that there, and it's not to pat myself on the back. Like I put myself in that category as an overarching you know, tip of the hat to the enterprise. The fact that this information is out there is amazing, right? 
And there are some very smart people, you know, Trey Free that we've had on the podcast a couple of times. He runs our tier one selection. And he had a great quote. He was like, we want it to be like the NFL combine. The yeah. NFL combine is not a secret. You know exactly what you're going to do. 225 pound bench press, 40 yard dash, sit and reach, wonder like test. You're going to have to do a standing vertical jump. You're going to have to go through Indiana drills. We want to see your speed agility. Like come show us the best version of yourself. And then we'll bring you onto a team where you fit. Right. Okay. So to answer the first part of your question, I wish that I had the, the knowledge and the ability just to get that information. Right. But I, I didn't. Um, but here I am. Right. The number one thing I would say to somebody that's, that's thinking about these things, there's something called paralysis by analysis yep. and we see it all the time. Right. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing, but just give me two more years. I'm going to finish this program. And then after that, give me another solid six months of training. And then after that, if I feel ready, I'm going to make up these gates to make sure that I'm, I'm racking and stacking appropriately. And then maybe in five years, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go. You can't do that. That's not the way it works in the military. That's not the way it works in combat. That's not the way it works in tactics. Yeah. You come up with the best plan that you got right now and you act. You act quickly and you keep that momentum going. So whenever anybody asks me, like, what do you wish, you know, I, I think, not to pat myself on the back, um, but to use myself as an example, I think I did it the right way for my advice right. because I was just like, all right, well, I know I'm going in. I know I want to be a part of this thing. I'm going to let them tell me no. I'm going to let them tell me you're not ready. Like if I went for that, you know, that initial PT test and the guy's like, you're not ready to go. I'd be like, okay, well, what do I need to do to get ready? When can we take this test again? What are your, your options? Um, people hold themselves back from these things we see great candidates that are just physical specimens on the guy and the girl side by the way they're just crushing it we're like what are you waiting for they're like well i want to do this i want to be at this running speed and i want to be doing this many things we're like yeah but you understand you're already in the top 10 percent of classes what are we waiting on here make yeah. a decision you know what i mean yeah yeah <clears throat> it's interesting i you know over the past year i've talked to a lot of folks you know that that say very similar things where it's like you hold yourself back and at some point you just need to start, right? Like stop, stop thinking, which, which I'm like, I'm like, I, I get eaten by analysis paralysis, like all the time, you know, like right. my, my day job is analytics. So like naturally I overthink everything. Right. And uh, it's kind of funny because over the past year talking to people, it's like some of the most successful, happy, like well-rounded people just fucking do something like just go just send it. it you know yeah, yeah. And you <clears throat> might fail and it's scary like i i did the first time and again like i don't i don't think anybody should hold me up as any sort of um you know example of how to go about these things you know to be honest and that's for literally everything in my entire life yeah but but i went and i failed and i was able to get back to it so even even the people that are like well what happens if i go and i don't get picked up they're like well if it's important to you you can go back and you can try again and, you know, sometimes like I went through four in doc classes, yeah. I, gra I graduated on my fourth one. I got sent home for a back injury when I finally went back after four or five years doing that other air force job. And again, I'm not the example. I'm not some superhuman. I should be the, I'm like the 70% example. Like you should look at me and be like, if this idiot can do it, I'm positive. <laughs> I am positive that I'm going to be fine. I'm bigger, stronger, faster, and smarter than Aaron is. I should be able to make this happen. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So moving into the kind of the Air Force or uh, the PJ realm, right? 
I know that you guys have got ones ready, which we'll talk about, I think, uh, in a little bit. But I'm not really familiar with what all of PJ does. Do you mind summarizing it a little bit for the rest of the conversation? Yeah, sure. I got you. So pararescuemen or PJs. So Mm -hmm. PJ is a retronym back in the day when you were flying. uh, So we were always on aircraft when we started, right? And we've evolved a little since then. But when you were on an aircraft, the pararescuemen used to be called a pararescue jumper. And on the flight forms, they would put in PJ. So PJ does, it's called a retronym. It doesn't actually mean anything now. That's just everybody called us PJ. Like they would look to the back of the aircraft and be like, Hey, PJ, you got to get going. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay, cool. So that's why we're called PJs. But um, pararescuemen and combat rescue officers are in the air force and in, in the DOD, every single service is supposed to be able to rescue or recover their own personnel or equipment. So for instance, one of the nine tenants of soft, one of the nine things that all soft operators do is personal recovery. The Air Force just happens to have people that train, equip, employ, and deploy for the means of personnel recovery in all of its facets 24-7. So we're combatants, meaning we're not just, uh, we have a medical capability, but we're not medics. We have a technical rescue capability, but we're not just technicians. We're combatants first and special operators first. And then the things that we do really, really well, shoot, move, communicate, lead, all the gold standard, all at the lowest possible level, technical rescue and combat trauma medicine. That's what we hang our hats on. So um, we have a lot of employment, meaning there isn't an environment on the earth that we can't gain access to in order to get a patient, a sensitive item or some other objective. So we're combat divers by nature. We're military free fall qualified. We uh, uh, have a very, very high instance of the, the longest progression of those skills, right? So we don't just have like jumpers. We produce a lot of jump masters. We produce a lot of dive supervisors, um, all for the, the, the sole reason of if somebody is hurt, lost, um, injured, anything, if they're, you know, even if they, they need recovered, pararescuemen are there along with the, the rescue teams, both on the AFSOC side of the house and the ACC side of the house. We are there to gain access to whatever environment that is, whether it even be contested or denied environments. Yeah. And we are going to save that patient and bring them back home. Um, the career field motto is that others may live because a lot of our missions, we, we operate in small team. We call them teams. A typical mm-hmm. special operations team is 12 to 20 people big. Um, we call our teams about six people. And, oh, wow. and a lot of times we're doing what we're calling, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, layer one PR layer one PR is where a PJ is actually attached to the team. Like they go with the seal team and they go with the ODA team and oh, they yeah. go with the Rangers to provide that um, capability essentially right there on the ground. So you could be the, the only PJ in a battalion of Rangers or a platoon of SEALs, um, or you could be operating on a smaller team of pararescue men and combat rescue officers. Um, and then on the EFT side of the house, you're, you're part of a smaller ST team, but that's what a, a PJ is kind of in a nutshell. So they're special operators in the air force, primarily focused on getting after the AFSOC missions, which are precision, uh, precision strike, global access and personal recovery and then personal recovery on the ACC side of the house. Dang. I just got like super excited thinking about that. Like I think my life choices <laughs> should have gone a different route. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I'm you guys are like awesome. a one-stop shop for like all the fun stuff as far as like jack of all trades, <clears throat> doing crazy shit, saving people, marksmen. That sounds like a good time. So I know it is the pipeline and I know, and, and I'm kind of just asking cause I'm curious, is the pipeline the same? Cause like, I know I talked to Trent a couple months ago when you say, when you say, Hey, I want to join, you know, AFSOC, you get put into one pipeline that then branches out into combat controllers, special recon and, um, 
kind of the other i don't remember all of the rest of them but right. is, i mean do they all kind of branch out from the same or do you select an individual path that you want to follow so it's kind of like both so it's, it's both of those answers what we have right now it's called slow v so special warfare operator enlistment hyphen vector right so that basically is like okay you want to be a special operator cool we're going to put everybody into this bucket we're going to give them this initial fitness test and we're going to make sure that they have like the minimum for fitness requirements that they need to get in now you may go to your recruiter and you may say, Hey, I want to be a PJ. And he's like, okay, cool. We're going to, we're going to get you there to be a PJ with your developer and with your recruiter and, and, and all that other stuff. That's fine. You know, you want to be a PJ on the other side of that coin is somebody that comes and goes, listen, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want to be a special operator in the air force. And then they're like, okay, cool. We're going to, excuse me. We're going to get you to this minimum level of physical fitness. We're going to train and develop you. You go through army or you go through basic, um, Air Force basic training, and then you go to what's called SWIC, so the Special Warfare Candidate course. That's a prep course for assessment selection. And during that prep course, you you get you get to raise your hand and go, "Okay, I thought I wanted to be a PJ. I'm totally right. I've been able to talk to PJs now. I get briefs from people that are in the career field. You meet actual operators, and you go, "Okay, cool. I want to be a PJ." That other candidate that was like, "I don't know what I want to do." Now they basically get to look at combat controllers, special reconnaissance, pararescuemen. Um, and this is all on the enlisted side. You look around and you say, oh, special reconnaissance is really cool. I would like to be assessed and selected for special reconnaissance. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a uh, an answer to your question is yes. The pipeline is the same as it's always been. You can totally come in 100% for, I, I want to be a PJ. Cool, you're in. You can come in to be a PJ and you can never change that. And you have every opportunity to be a PJ. Or you can come in and you can say, I don't know what I want to do. I want to be a special operator of some sort in the Air Force but I don't know if I want to be a TACP or a combat controller or a special reconnaissance guy or a PJ. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, you're going to go into this SWOV program. We're going to look at your attributes and skills and give you the information. And then when it comes time for assessment selection, you can tell us what, what you want to be graded against. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of kind of the, the preparatory work or the prep work needed for kind of the, the special operations world in the air force. It revolves around a lot around, a lot around fitness, but mm -hmm. kind of, I've looked at, you know, when I was in high school and college, I looked at all the branches under the sun, moon and stars, everything you could do, but I know the air force is very dedicated on kind of the intelligence side of it too. Right. What, yep. I mean, what do candidates need to be aware of as far as education kind of knowledge skill set there beyond just being physically capable, if anything at all. Yeah. We always say that physical capability gives you bandwidth. That's all. If, if, a you know, if an event isn't, if an event is taking you to your red line, like if this is the event and you're at your red line and you can't keep up with me and I'm not really that stressed about it, who's going to make better decisions? You or me? Right. Probably, probably me. Cause I'm not as stressed as you are. Right. Um, so that's why physical fitness is so important is, is you, for us, it has to be block one. That's the bottom of the pyramid for everything else. Okay. The good thing for people, we get, we get this question all the time is how do I prepare? What things should I be studying? I don't really have a thing that you should study other than being a good adult learner, being able to take feedback, being able to take criticism, and then being able to apply those things to the next time that you do an event. Yeah. As an instructor in the pipeline, I don't care how smart you are. Like, I don't care if you're a super genius. And there were guys that would come through way smarter than me, like vetted degrees, vetted microbiology degrees from Brown, mm -hmm. like MIT degrees, like Harvard degrees on enlisted dudes, right? Like they are smarter than but I would watch them fail because they couldn't be in a good adult learner. If they didn't know 
how to actually like take that input, internalize it quickly, and then turn it around. Where I would see people with, you know, I, I always use myself. Well, I, I'm not a very credentialed individual. Like I have a high school degree. I got a couple of associate's degrees from the Air Force, right? Like that's it. I don't have a lot of pieces of paper saying, hey, you're really smart. But I was able to keep up with the curriculum because I'd be like, okay, well, I'm really stupid. I need to listen to what this person says and I need to do it like they want me to do it. Right. Like I need to be able to take information that they're giving me in real time and change what I'm doing and not think I'm smarter than somebody else. Um, those things, that, that coachability, that trainability, that ability to take input, we have moved away from the old, you know, the old indoc model where we had the indoctrination course. We moved to more of an attributes assessment which all the tier one units do, by the way, people, people freak out about changing A and S and they're like, Oh, this is never going to work. We're like, well, all the tier one units assess like this. So, I mean, maybe it will, they, they're pretty good at what they do, but um, because the question always was there is like, okay, you need to do 75 sit-ups. You only did 73. Does that person that just did two sit-ups, do you think we should look at some other things before we completely eliminate them from a pipeline yeah, right. that they just showed an aptitude to be in? You know what I mean? I've seen great dudes fail the indoctrination course for, you know, missing two push-ups. Yeah. You know, miss missing a couple seconds on a run. Like shouldn't shouldn't we be looking at the rest of them as a holistic person and going, wait a second. Right. Everybody on the team loved this guy. He was a leader. He killed himself for everybody every single day. He never he never did so much as a blip in the disciplinary realm. Like, are you telling me this isn't a good candidate? Does two push-ups make a PJ? Yeah. Um I would argue no. I would argue that we should be using an attribute. So you should always have a physical gate. There should always be a floor that I can look at you and go, Hey, you're not in the shape that you need to do this job. We should always have that capability. But for those people that are getting in now, you know, there is no one area or focus. You know, people are like, Hey, should I start studying anatomy now? I don't, if you like anatomy and you're going to be a PJ, sure. Um, but I don't know how much that helps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about people, the analysis paralysis, right? You can't, you can't set too many gates for yourself, but also to the point of, I guess, valuing yourself. It's not necessarily a number. Right. It's like having kids. You're never going to be ready. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're waiting till you feel ready to have kids, you're never going to have kids. If you feel like I I was not ready when I went into Indoc, I I just knew, I knew 100%. I'm not at grad standards right now. I'm not, be, I'm not able to complete the exit exam as the shape I'm in right now. But that's literally what trusting the process is because those courses are meant to select you and build you up to get you there. And I just accepted that fact on face value going in. I was like, listen, I'm not at grad standards right now, but they're going to get me there. I'm going to do what they tell me to. I'm going to trust the process and I'm going to try and hopefully I'll get there and lo and behold, it worked. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... I don't have any real military experience, right? I was not in the military or law enforcement. So I really have no, don't have a good grasp of what kind of rules feel like and kind of the validation you get. You say that you feel like you've got a really good sense of kind of camaraderie or kind of purpose. Do you mind talking about what that looks like and feels like for you being a PJ? Oh man, this is a, That's a you, super you, loaded question. You did know, and it's perfect though. I'm excited about it <clears throat> because, <clears throat> excuse me, because it talks about the culture and it talks about, you know, the reason why I say like, if, you know, if it wasn't for being a PJ, I don't know if I'd be in the military, yeah. man. Um, this is, this is the one time when that statement might not be 100% true and it's because of the culture. So adversity breeds closeness. 
right? Like people that you go through hard times with, you're inherently closer. Imagine having the same group of people together, the same faces, the same small focus group. And every day is the worst day of your life for like two years. Every single day of the pipeline, you're being evaluated, you're a hair's breadth away from failing. There's any number of other life stressors that you have to worry about. Your family is going through huge changes. You're not home a whole lot. Imagine the bonds that you form just in the pipeline. Yeah. And then you graduate and you go on and you get to your first unit and you kind of have to assimilate into a different culture. I went to an STF fresh out of the pipeline, an overseas STF. So it was a little bit different flavor. We did a different mission over there. But those teams are extremely small. And then one, it was a weird thing once you graduated the pipeline and you got into active duty, you were like, oh, wait, this isn't training anymore. If I do something wrong here, if I'm not paying attention or if I'm not locked on, some of my friends or myself, I could die doing it. We do dangerous things. Yeah. Um, and it's weird that they become commonplace. We just had a free fall jump, you know, last week. Uh, you know, I think 30 or 40 of our operators got out uh, and on the one sunny day in Washington that we've had so far, but um, got out and did a free fall jump. That's just a Wednesday. Like dudes go back, like that's a bucket list for people, right? Like yeah. they want to go skydiving. My guys did that on you know, like a Tuesday afternoon and then like, just went back to the office and like did paperwork and stuff, right? Like having a group of people that are singularly motivated and focused on what it is that they do. You, you can't keep up with everybody at the unit. Everybody, somebody at the unit is stronger than you. Somebody's smarter than you. Somebody's better at their job than you. You can't be, there is no one perfect operator at the unit. Having, having a culture like that is like no other. Yeah. You want to come, you want to compete with those people because you want to beat them. It's, it's always a competition, but you are also so happy when they succeed and you don't, you're like, I don't care if I didn't win. You deserve it. You are awesome because we're all fighting for the same thing. In the end, that small team is fighting towards a singular mission accomplishment. Right. And that is unreal. The, the friends that you make, the relation, the relationships that you have, I mean, they're, they're life lasting. Somebody could text my phone that, and it happens every once in a while. Somebody will text me and they'll be like, Hey man, I, I was just thinking about you. You know, how are things going? I, I would drop whatever I'm doing for that, for that guy that I haven't talked to in, in years, um, sometimes decades, because those are the bonds that you form going through these sort of things. Like uh, ad adversity builds these friendships and these, these relationships. And when you have an entire culture, and this is everybody, it's not just the operators, it's the people that work our support. You know, some of the, some of the best people at the unit, there's always a couple people at a unit where if you took those people away, the unit would just screech to a halt. Sure. And it's always, it's always support. It's always that guy that works up in the, in the admin section that knows ins and outs of every process to make sure that we're not failing to make sure that we can focus on doing our job. Or it's always, you know, the logistics superintendent that knows how to literally do everything that you need to do to make it, to make an operation go off for real, for real. Right. Those guys are also crushing, guys and gals crushing towards a singular goal. So, you know, I, I will temper what I said with, you know, I, I don't know if I'd be in the military if it wasn't for being a PJ. I just think being a PJ gives me the, it's like a magnified look at what is great about the military, which is typically the people that you meet and those things that you're able to do as a team. Yeah, that's that sounds like a lot of fun. Like I said, you know, I, I never served. So it, it's just, I, I was never in the military and I was never in law enforcement. Right. So it's, it's always fun to kind of talk to people that lived in those high stress situations and have that type of camaraderie. Right. Cause like I've had teams at work, but it's the stress that I have is, is different. Right. Like it's not, it is not life or death regardless. I leave work. 
might have had a bad email, whatever the fucking case may be, right? <laughs> you know, but 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 at the end of the day, like like I yeah. don't die, like the like right. unless a, there's an idiot on the highway, that's it, right? But like, sure. what's it like? I mean, I, I just I feel like I've got questions around like building that and what type what it's like living in that kind of high. I don't know, high speed environment, I guess. Right. Like, is it, does it yeah. wear you down at all? Does it just get you jacked? Are you like adrenaline dumped all the time? So it, it's awesome. And it's terrible at the same time. Right. <laughs> so like it teaches you to be very even keel. Like mm-hmm. the example that I used about, you know, the guys just going out and jumping out of a plane, you know, military free fall with all of their equipment on, and then just going back and doing, doing their office paperwork. Like the, the most insane things to us become pretty commonplace. Right. Yeah. Um, so you can't get, you can't get like amped up all the time for every single thing and you can't get too low either. Unfortunately, on the flip side of that coin is like, you know, there are a bunch of our friends that are unfortunately no longer here due to combat or training accidents or, you know, other life things that got in the way. You you can't get too low on those things either because the work that you have to do, like you're allowed to go and you're allowed to be sad and you're allowed to mourn your friends, but that morning has a, it's got an end to it because we have another job that we have to do. And I remember I was deployed in 2010 to uh, Helmand. So Southern Afghanistan in the bastion, we had a really, really tough rescue. I had a, a young guy that had to make a really, really hard choice um, on target. Right. Um, and you could tell that he was struggling with it. And we came back and I was like, Hey, I, I'm going to give you 12 hours. Um, you're going to come off the alert cycle because you need to, you need to process this event. But when you wake up tomorrow, man, like it's, it's time to put the gloves back on and we got to go back to work. And he was like, okay. Um, you know, I say those kind of those two stories to kind of tell you like when, when you have a high performing team like that, you can feel it and you understand that this guy is looking out for me. This guy cares about me and he wants me to do well. And everybody is doing each other's work for them. That's the easiest way to tell um, on any team, right? Like we always, we, one of our colloquialisms is like, Hey, when training is over, it's team gear first, personal gear second. And then you tidy up your paperwork and your admin. That's when you get to go home. When you watch a high performing team get done with a training event, especially like water events, they seem cool. Like water jumps. It's like, Oh, we're going to jump in the water. Dude, those are the worst because you have boats that you got to clean. You've got shoots that you got to hang up. Everything is wet. You have to rinse everything off. If you're jumping in salt water, you have to do all these processes to make sure that all of your gear and equipment is clean. It takes forever. But when you look at a team that gets done with that event and people are, doing their their own stuff first they're like getting their team gear squared away and then they come over they start grabbing your team gear because you're not done man you don't you don't see that anywhere else um and if you look at like the business area and like high performing sports if you look at phil um phil jackson you know writing his books on like the taoism of leadership and simon sinek find your why and all these other business but you know um, legacy the all black book you look at all those things and they're trying to capture what we inherently have. Mm. So to work, to work for an organization like that, it, it, no kidding. It makes you want to be a better human. Yeah. Like you're like, Hey, I, I can't be late to this training event. I can't say that I'm going to do something and not, not follow up on it because the culture does not accept it. Does that, does that type of camaraderie and kind of team ownership? Cause to me, it seems like an ownership of, task completion right as yep. as a unit does that does that grow organically or are you guys kind of taught and trained up in doing that so again it's both yeah you know sometimes you really do just catch lightning in a bottle and and i've had a couple assignments luckily for me that it just happened yeah 
after the initial kind of like storming area where everybody's trying to figure out, hey, what is this thing? I've seen it where with very little guidance, it just sort of people coalesced, they got right into their lane and they just started crushing it. But on the flip side, we take, especially for, you know, senior leaders, you know, of, of you know, myself and Trent and Peaches, you know, we're, we're at the top that we're them, you know, we're not us. When the, when the guys bitch in the team room yeah. about they don't understand what we need and these guys have forgotten, I'm who they're talking about, right? <laughs> I'm not the guy in the team room. I'm, yeah. I'm the guy in the other office at this point, right? We take, I take it on myself to do a lot of studies into those things and a lot of reading and a lot of trying to open up my aperture to figure out how I can be the most flexible leader that I can. And then every once in a while, you kind of just, hey, have you heard about this book? Hey, have you, have you heard about this concept? And we do try to develop our leaders. We call it professional development. We have yeah. a standardized schedule for it. Um, but every once in a while, like, you know, sometimes, sometimes the best, um, the best instances of that are when, when dudes and, and guys and gals or whatever non-gender specific term I'm supposed to use for everybody. But when everybody gets on the same page, sometimes it just happens. And it yeah. happens because you're like, I know what right looks like. That's what right looks like. We're going to do that. And everybody is just like, yep. Um, but, but it does take, it does take some work on the back end because there have been some cultures that I've worked at that are just sick. Yeah. And you're like, dang it, I got to figure out how to, is it, is it one personality? Is it, is it a single like underpinning? There's an undercurrent of mistrust here. Like what do, what are we trying to fix here? And in that case, you have to be a little bit more deliberate about it. Okay. Okay. So one other question I'm, I would like to ask too, is uh, I know that we talked about you it taking four attempts to make it through the pipeline for PJ um, kind of taking a sidestep and working another kind of career path for a little bit. What was yep. that like for you kind of on the front of motivation and sticking to what you knew you wanted to do? Yeah, it was, I actually just threw myself into the other job. I was yeah. like, you know, initially in that first year, if you would have, if I, if you could go back and interview, you know, a, a young precocious Aaron Love at that point, um, I was just like, okay, yeah, I tried this thing and it, it turns out it didn't work for me. So I'm just, I'm not going to be that guy that, constantly talked about my pipeline stories or constantly talked about stuff that I did or, or whatever, because it's just not appropriate. Like grownups don't do that. Right. Like right. they don't live in the past the entire time. Um, I, I don't relive my high school swimming career for the same reason. You know, I was me, I was mediocre. Uh, I never did anything like super great. Um, yeah. so I don't really need to talk about it you know. Um, and it didn't happen. I actually got to go to jump school. I got to go to Fort Benning, Georgia and go to army static line jump school as part of that other career field. And I distinctly remember, Upon graduating that, my daughter was like three weeks old at the time. Like I had my daughter and immediately went TDY to jump school. No big deal. That's how you keep a family. Um, but I distinctly coming home and, you know, this was like three years after I'd gotten out of, out of Indoc and I got home and I, I picked my daughter, Anna, but I was just like, yeah, this, this is always what I want to do. I, I don't want to be the guy that's not going out of the plane. Right. I want to be the guy that's jumping out of the plane. So um, it, that kind of. I remember that as a crystallizing moment of being, you know, really motivated to go back. And that's when I, I made my decision. Like I'm going to cross train. I'm going to put this package in. I'm going to train up physically for what I need to do. And I'm going to try to do this thing another time. But that in between time, like I was pretty burnt out. I was pretty disillusioned. Like I said, I was pretty emotionally immature. So I had a lot of feelings about how my initial pipeline um, went, right? Like those first two teams and the team that I eventually left, like I, I did not, I wasn't very, moto to go back at that point but it's because again i needed to grow as a person and i needed to be able to disassociate like hey this was a failure it was a failure for your own fault i didn't fail because of anybody else i failed because of myself mm -hmm. 
like I was the one that, that drove that train and it took me a little bit to get there. And once I got there, I was like, okay, cool. Well, now here's the next thing. I'm going to be as good as I possibly can at this job. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about what could have been with whatever else. But then as soon as I got back from that jump school, I was like, no, this, this is it. I want to go back. Yeah. So that sense of kind of ownership of, Hey, accepting, you know, this failure was mine. Nobody else's. I need to own up to it. Did you, I mean, did you go through kind of the growth into that or was it like immediately fail, move on? Okay. Understand this is what happened. This is my kind of my thing to own. Or did you like resent everybody for a period of time, get help in figuring it out? Yeah. And the answer again is both. You know what I mean? Like I, they didn't give me any time. They weren't, there wasn't like a, a month period where they were like, Hey, we're going to let you decompress. Then we're going to give you some mental health professionals to talk to and help you work through your failure. And then when mm-hmm. you're in a good place, we're going to let you cross train. The, the military was like, okay, you tried this thing. Are you going to stay in? I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to stay in. They're like, okay, well, here's a new job. You leave on Friday. Class starts on Monday for your, your next training. Like you have to go yeah. through training for this other school. So That's crazy. it wasn't, yeah. I mean, it was like, pack your shit. You're gone. Like you, you're, <laughs> Like, and no, no harm, no foul to them. I completely get it. Right. You tried, you failed. Thanks. You're a no go at this station. Grab your shit, go to station one. Um, so it was kind of both. Like I had to focus on that new class and, and, and getting that new, you know, career field done. Cause if I'd have failed, they would have kicked me out of the air force. They'd been like, yeah, two tries is, is too many. You're out. Um, but it took me a long time. Like, and it took me a long time to kind of get to where I could admit like, Hey, here's, here's the, here's the truth of the matter. Here's what happened. Here's how you led, here's how those, your own actions led there. And eventually I was, I was okay with it. Right. Cause time heals all things. I just needed some more time to get there. Yeah. Dang. That's kind of a blessing in disguise, right? Pack your shit and go like, yep. that's better than being like, all right, you're going to sit here for a week while we decide what we're going to do with you. No. Nope. Right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're a failure. Yeah. You're, you're a failure at the station. You didn't live up to the standard. The standards aren't moving. So you need to get your stuff and get out of here. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. Easy to understand. Okay. Okay. So on the family front, if I can ask, how yeah. do you, I know that um, it's hard managing family, right? So my wife works in law enforcement. We have a, a weird schedule, right? Our, our schedules mm-hmm. are like literally opposite. She works weekend nights. I've got a nine to five. We see each other a couple nights if we're lucky a week. How did you kind of balance family life throughout your time? I mean, it's, it's work, you know, don't, no, nothing is ever going to get done magically. Like you're never just going to have a relationship that you're just like, Oh, everything is sunshine and daisies. Like you're going to hate each other some days. Mm-hmm. Some days you don't want to talk to each other. Some days you get home and there's dishes in the sink and you're like, what have you been doing all day? And she's like, well, the kids have been puking all day. I haven't been able to get a second to myself. I can't even go to the bathroom without one of them wanting to be in my space. And now I, I didn't feel like it. And you're going to be mad at her and she's going to be mad at you. And unless you really work on it, like really work on it, you're going to fail. And, you know, the people that, excuse me, the people that do the best with this are kind of the people that are just the most honest as they can be with their spouse. Um, You know, especially the pipeline, you see it pretty often where people go through a, a portion of the pipeline or they even get to their first duty station and they meet somebody kind of outside the circles and they start bringing them in. And those people are immediately just shocked. They're like, what, what are you doing? You guys just go deploy and get shot at and get in firefights and jump out of planes. And this is just normal. And then you guys just come home and you just have cookouts on the weekend. Like it's a, it's a shocking thing yeah. for them to get. When you add that layer of relationship, there is a, there's so much more communication 
that needs to happen. You need to find out what is your preferred love language for a silly as it sounds like, how am I going to give acts of service to my partner if I'm gone? Like if I'm on the road, how do I do that? Okay. Well, I know that I can Uber eat her some food. She's going to be, you know, working, uh, working at home for today. I can Uber eats her some coffee. I know that she'll like that. Like, and vice versa. How, how can, how can your partner support you doing these really hard things? Like the relationship and family dynamic of it is insanely hard. However, luckily for us, we bring, we bring all that in as close as we possibly can. Like it's very commonplace for spouses to be able to like bring their kids into the gym because we typically have really nice unit gyms. Um, And up here in Washington, it's no different. I think we have like a $2.5 million facility or something, but (laughs) you know, it it rocks. It's amazing. So anyway, uh, A&S five times a year, feel free. You can have a gym like me too. Um, Yesterday when we went in, you know, I went in and I was working out and there was wives and kids and dogs and everybody was kind of like just tribally like, parenting like you'd be lifting and you know one of the kids would be getting like getting uh, like grabbing a barbell or something you come over and like no sweetie come on come over here and you know their parents would be working out and that's that's awesome when you have that tribe you're not just alone on an island it's not you and your partner it's the entire tribe trying to figure out what this is typically the wives get really close um, at our organization as well for the for that reason you know your husband if your husbands are on the same team and they're gone at the same time, like you naturally gravitate towards one another. Be like, well, the guys are gone for another three weeks. Do you want to just get together and have coffee and have a play date? Like that actually helps for interpersonal relationships too. But I'd say the number one thing is, you know, relationships are work. Like they, you have to work at them. You have to work at them every single day. And, And when you stop working at them, you end up living your life in these parallel lines and you never kind of like meet back together. That's, that's just going to end poorly. Yeah, it takes a village, and, I, and I'm ahead. hearing that that your village is very strong, which is really sweet. And, and, <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I and I'm uh, and I'm picturing you being like getting shot. I'd be like, just a second, I'm fucking ordering coffee for my wife. Out of here, definitely. Yeah, with uh, yeah, with as much as I'm needed. Um, like I said, like I'm a I'm a they, not a us. With as yeah. much as they need me on target, which isn't a lot, I got plenty of time. And get yeah. on the ATEC hit up the uber eats and i'm good (laughs) that was awesome so if we could uh one's ready what uh, i know that that's kind of your guys's big media outlet now and kind of getting folks do you mind sharing for guys that don't know maybe tapping into some folks that haven't heard of you guys yet what is it uh what is it what do you do and uh how does it help yeah too easy so man about four years ago three years ago now um we kind of all got on a phone call together and, and we were all engaging on a bunch of different spaces. Like Peaches was all over Reddit. Trent was trying to get the word out about SR and the career field changes. Brian had how to be a PJ. I was on a different site called Shadow Spear for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were all kind of answering the same question. We were just, we would, we would laugh when we would talk to each other. We all knew each other from um, the FTS over in England. And then Trent was a mutual friend um, that I hadn't met when we first uh, started, but obviously now we're, we're really close friends, but we basically laughed and we were like, you know, what would be cool is if I didn't have to answer, what does a PJ do 400 times? If I didn't have to answer, well, what do you do when you're not deployed? What's, what's home life? Like, what's it like having a relationship? Like all those questions that people want to know, we made a joke. We were just like, you know what we should do? We should just start a podcast. We should just have like frequently asked questions. And then that way, when people ask us, we just be like, go listen to episode 10, go listen to episode 12. And that's no kidding how it started. Um, And it started because we, 
typically in the Air Force, if you ask somebody, what, what does a Navy SEAL do? Everybody knows what a Navy SEAL does. Even if it's the movie version, they can be like, okay, I know what a Navy SEAL does. Or what does an Army special operator do? How about the Rangers? You know what the Rangers do? And people can be like, okay, yeah, I, I know. You know, it might be a little bit movie. But if you walk on like a regular street and you're like, hey, what does an Air Force pararescuement do? They're like, uh, if you go in the Air Force and you ask people, what does a PJ do? Or what does a combat controller do? Half the time, they don't know. Right. And it's be- it's because we we've taken the silent professional thing so seriously that there's not a lot of books. There's not a lot of people out there talking about it. There's not a lot of people that are, that are getting that information out. So it kind of one's ready just evolved into this thing where it was, Hey, we want to get these things out there. Like maybe you are like me, maybe you are one of those people that doesn't know what you want to do. You know, you want to do something bigger than yourself. You know, you want to do something hard. You want to challenge yourself. You want to be a special operator, but you just don't know which branch. Yeah. Well, that's where one's ready organically grew into that space to where we say, you know, the Navy SEALs have about 5,000, I think Navy SEALs, 3,500 to 5,000. We have 500 PJs. Like we're a, we're a 10th of their size. And if you look at the Ranger battalions, they're, they're much bigger than that. Right. Um, We need good candidates to come over. And just because like, I don't know how many friends that I've met in the army and the Navy and the Marines, they were like, Holy crap. Like, I had no idea that you guys even existed. If I'd known back then, I would have tried to be a PJ. Yeah. And that's kind of where we live. We just, we want to get the most accurate information out there, dispel as many rumors as possible, you know, right away, like get rid of that misinformation about what the Air Force is and what the Air Force isn't, what you're going to do, what the battle rhythm's like, what certifications you're going to get. That's always important to people. They're like, can I, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to be a PA? Can I, can I be an air traffic controller? Can I do this cyber warfare gig? We're like, well, yeah, if you want to come be an operator with us first, we have, we have those pathways, but it's mostly information sharing to be quite honest with you. It's just having a group of people that you can DM us and we can just go, you know, they can say, Hey, my recruiter said this and we can go, well, I don't know if that's 100% true. How about talking to this recruiter? They're a friend of ours. They handle special operations candidates and they can give you the questions that you need. That's really what we envision ourselves to be is just a clearinghouse for everybody that might want to go into air force special warfare. Yeah. I've got the, I've got the resource for you. You, you can talk to a PJ, you can talk to a controller, you can talk to a special reconnaissance fan. You can, you can talk to people that directly affect the pipeline and make these changes that everybody is, everybody is tracking, you know, so intimately. So that's kind of where once ready started and, and now we're just, we're just kind of here. We're uh, you know, we're happy to be, you know, recording content and putting content <laughs> out there and having our friends on like, we get to have our friends on and talk war stories, um, which is great. And then, you know, we've been lucky enough as well to have really heroes of the career fields on. And just to get their story out there is amazing. You know, we had Rob Gutierrez, you know, Gute, Chief Master Sergeant Gutierrez, you know, he's down in San Antonio now, but he, he won the Air Force Cross um, basically for getting shot and refusing to not die for the next 15 hours while he saved his ODA team's life. You know, I, I have personal friends that have done some of the most heroic things on the face of the planet. And they, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the other side of it is we want to get our, we want to get that Air Force story out there as, as lame and as, you know, recruitery as that sounds. Like those are our friends. We want to have our friends on and talk about the good things that these guys have done because it's amazing. Um, and it's, it's just indicative of what we are in the career field and in Air Force Special Operations. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. Cause like I've used stories, you know, 
so so part of like the podcast that I started, right, is, is growth through story, strength through community. That's kind of like the tagline that I put together because like I feel like stories in general, right, sometimes obviously hard to share, but I think they help the legacy of some folks and then also kind of help people move forward. So it's like sharing despite the silent professional thing, right? I think that sometimes to continue the legacy and continue the generation and growth of whether that's PJs or combat controllers or the special recon guys, right? It's like, you almost have to share some of those so that people even know what the hell it's about. Right. Cause otherwise, otherwise, how do you know, right? Like you're walking right. in blind basically. Yeah. And you, you know what I, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird corollary to make. Right. But um, you know, we have, we have a lot of uh, team shirts. Like you have a lot, like everywhere you go, like you have, there's a jump master shirt, like every school you go to, it's like been there and done that, got the shirt. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, on your teams, everybody makes their own team shirts. It's got their own imagery. Maybe it's got a, you know, a statement, like a, a motto that their team has. Some of, some of it's funny, some of it's supermoto, whatever. Well, for a long time in my career, a long time, you would not catch me dead in a team shirt anywhere other than like the space at the section where I'm supposed to wear it. Like you wear your team shirt into the gym because that's your PT gear. Okay, cool. But you would never catch me at a bar. You would never catch me out anywhere, right? I completely, I had a, a mentor of mine that was like, okay, yeah, but what if you wore that team shirt out and somebody came up to you because they saw that, that iconography or the, the, the vision of your shirt. And they were curious. They were like, Hey, is that an angel? Are you a PJ? Oh, that's cool. He was like, what if you got to talk about all of these great things because of that team shirt? And I was like, all right, man, maybe I've been wrong for 10 years, but it goes to your point, right? Like people aren't going to know what a PJ is unless there are some PJs that are willing to talk about what a PJ is. And uh, we kind of just took that entire thing to heart for one's ready. And like, we're not, we don't ever talk about OPSEC. We don't ever do it to aggrandize ourselves. I talk about, you know, my, my personal experience, I, I very rarely talk about um, for a number of different reasons, but mostly because it's not about, it's not about me. It's about the career field. It's about getting the best people possible into the career fields because we have a very high need. We need technically proficient, tactically smart, hard to kill people in our air force special operations because we have such a righteous mission. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So I know that we've glazed over. I can only imagine just an insane amount of things. Is there anything <laughs> that you, that you were like, man, I never get asked this, or this is something that I wish I'd have learned or known throughout any of this conversation and kind of your life that you're like, I want this. I want people to know this. My that is a great question. Favorite, that, favorite loaded question. Favorite loaded question. That's a good yeah, one. it really is. That's a good one. Um, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's hard to stay away from, you know, at the personal level. Um, you know, I wish that people could, could talk to me more frequently and get, cause we, we always get pushback. Like one's ready for the entire time we've been here. It's, Oh, you guys are trying to make money off of this stuff, or you guys are just, you guys aren't doing this the right way or whatever happened to be a silent professional. And, you know, from a personal level, I wish that those guys would just call us and talk to us because yeah. we get rumblings on it every once in a while. We'll get like an email or a message, not so much anymore, but we, we just wish you would call and talk to us and be like, yeah. Hey, like, let us, let us tell you what this vision is. Let us, you decide if it's righteous or not, but at least talk to us and let us know. Um, for me as a person, like me as a dude, I just, I wish I would have taken a second as a younger, a younger candidate coming in here and I could just find a way to just turn that ego off from the very beginning yeah. and just go, okay, cool. I am here to listen. I'm here to take the trash out as a young team member. 
I am here to be as technically proficient at my job as I possibly can be from the very start. And I'm just here for the team. I wish that I had internalized that lesson way earlier uh, in my pipeline career, you know, in my, in my career period, in, in my pipeline as an uh, as a NCO, as a senior NCO. I wish that I had those rebasing moments to really get me to refocus on that because all of the problems that anybody in the pipeline is going to have, I can, I can guarantee you can probably nail it down to ego in one form or fashion. Yeah. Um, so battling that ego and finding a way to, to get away um, from those, you know, just constantly looking inwardly, that, that helps out about 80% of the candidates that we talk to, Okay, you know, whether it's paralysis by analysis, whether it's, any, any of these things, these decision-making processes, if you just eliminate the ego from a lot of those conversations, the number one, your path becomes immediately clear. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is objectively true. I should go do this thing. And I was just resistant to it because I was feeling some type of way. Okay. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate you sitting down with me. Oh yeah, no problem, man. And I, I will, I will come on anytime you want. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how popular it's going to be. I, I make the joke on our podcast about you can say anything you want in the forest because nobody's there to listen to it. So, I mean, I'll, I'll continue to come on. I just don't know who's going to listen. Deal. You know I mean? I'll have, I'll have to sit down. I'll, uh, I'll have to put together uh, some more uh, random. Qu- I'll, I'll hit Trent up and, uh, and I talked to peaches next weekend. So yeah, uh, as it. I, as I learn more about kind of your guys's world, I'll, uh, I'll have you, I'll, I'll sit back down with. Aaron, man, once again, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you uh, waking up on a Sunday morning to record with me and uh, sharing your story. I had a great time talking and look forward to uh, connecting at some point in the future and uh, maybe deep diving a little bit more into uh, some of your stories and uh, some of the things that you've learned along the way. Everyone, I hope you uh, took some good information away. Um, I will be sure to link uh, Aaron's Instagram info in uh, the episode description as well as the link to One's Ready's website. Um, But other than that, I hope you all have a wonderful wonderful week and we will catch you next time.